mealtime. It's something that we cannot avoid as people. We have to eat, and we have found out ways to make it happen. Through all time and in all place, people have been having meals together. For we dare, we can't live many days without a meal. It strikes me how varied the way mealtime happens around the world. Sometimes, in some places, people pull themselves up to a table, sitting in a chair. They have an array of forks and spoons and different glasses, and that is, that is how mealtime happens where they are. In other places, there's a big flat plate that's two and a half or three feet in diameter, and people kneel or, or, or squat down beside it. And it's ladled with different beans and lentils, and it's a spongy bread that is the utensil for eating. Some places of the world, the vermicelli is made of rice, and it's chopsticks that are used to pick it up. In other places, it's made of wheat, and it's a fork and spoon that's used to pick it up. But in both places, you can slurp. Mealtime is something that happens all over the world, time and time and time again, regardless of culture or time or space. It offers us both nourishment and relationship as we come to the table with one another. There's been a lot of talk about the significance of mealtime and even having meals together, and I found an article from the Washington Post dated January 12, 2015. That was already four and a half years ago now. It was written by Ann Fischel, who is the co-founder of the Family Dinner Project. She's a professor at Harvard Medical School and the author of the book entitled Home for Dinner. She highlights in this article that in most industrialized countries, families don't do things together. They don't farm together. They don't play musical instruments together or stitch quilts together. So dinner is the most reliable way for families to come together and connect with one another on a regular basis. She says, and I quote, this daily mealtime connection is like a seatbelt for traveling the potholed road of childhood and adolescence and all its possible risky behaviors. In this article, she's advocating for mealtimes as a family. And she says that as a family therapist, that sometimes she has the impulse to tell families to go home and have dinner together and not spend an hour with her. 20 years of research around the globe, North America, Europe, and Australia, back up the reasons that family dinner is advantageous. And here are just a few of the statistics. Young kids learn 1,000 rare words at the dinner table, compared to only 143 from parents reading storybooks aloud. For school-age youngsters, regular mealtime is an even more powerful predictor of high achievement scores than time spent in school, doing homework, playing sports, or doing art. For adolescents, those who eat family meals five to seven times a week, they're twice as likely to get A's in school as those who ate dinner with their families fewer than two times a week. She goes on to talk about the health benefits that usually when we eat together, we eat better. Fruits and vegetables, vitamins and micronutrients as compared to fried foods and soft drinks. The atmosphere of the dinner table is important too because it provides a way for connection to happen. So she encourages parents to be warm and engaged rather than controlling and restrictive as a means to encouraging healthy eating in their children. 
And she says, and I quote, in addition, a stack of studies link regular family dinners with lowering a host of high-risk teenage behaviors parents fear, such as smoking, binge drinking, marijuana use, violence, school problems, eating disorders, and sexual activity. It's a wonder, then, why people don't eat together more often. With this kind of information, you wonder why it is that people are slow to go through the effort to putting something on the table for everyone to pull up and eat. It's almost as the Lord is saying in the prophet Jeremiah's words, why is it you dig a cistern that has cracks in it when I will give you the living water? Indeed, it's a quandary as to why we as humans often don't even accept the best advice we're given. And Jesus is taking this mealtime in our gospel lesson today to teach another lesson. He wants to teach us about how we are worthy at the table. To the guests that have come, he challenges them on their understanding of what makes them worth, worthy of sitting at that table. He reminds them that their status and their accomplishments and their skills are not the reason that they get to come to the table. And to the host, he says, don't invite people because of their accomplishments and skills and achievements to the table. The reason we come together to eat is because we need to eat. And that we're worthy of sitting at the table because God makes us worthy of sitting at the table. As humans who need to be fed, we are called into this time of fellowship, nourishment, and relationship, an opportunity to be sustained in the way that only God can do in ways both known and unknown. It's hard for us, I think, to comprehend or to grasp or to reconcile ourselves to the fact that we're only made worthy through Christ. We would like to think it's within our own capacity to get the job done, to make ourselves as important as we know ourselves created to be. But time and again throughout Scripture, we're reminded that it is Christ who completes us, that makes us worthy. Consider the example of John the Baptist, who says to his followers, one is coming after me, and I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now that's pretty unworthy. And as you recall, Jesus shows up to the River Jordan to be baptized by John, and John says, oh my, I can't do this. And, God, and Jesus says, yes, you are made worthy through me, through God, to baptize me. Not of your own merits, John the Baptist, but because of God. Or think of James and John, who want to sit at Jesus' right and left hand when he comes into his kingdom. And Jesus says to them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism with which I'll be baptized? And they say, we are. And Jesus concedes that and says, that's true. So by merit, they can match him. But Jesus goes on to say, it's not mine to give who sits with me at the kingdom, and my right hand and my left, that's for God's to confer. And it is God who makes you worthy. Or Peter, the perfect example of one who grapples with what it means to be completed by Christ. At the Last Supper, when they are at the table, Jesus takes off his outer robe and ties a towel around his waist and goes to wash his disciples' feet. And you might recall that he comes to Peter and begins to wash his feet. And Peter says, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. 
You see, Peter knows how amazing Jesus is. He's identified him as the Messiah, and Peter knows that he's not better than the Messiah. So he says to Jesus, I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. And Jesus says, I make you worthy for me to wash your feet. It's in me that you become worthy. Indeed, that's so hard to grapple with. It's hard to reconcile ourselves to. It's hard to receive that gift, that abundant gift that God makes known to us in Christ. And it has been for all time. I think of some of the theological greats who wrestled with this, like Martin Luther, who that's what he's talking about when he says justified by faith, because he realizes, realizes that he doesn't have the merit to live as a follower of Jesus without Jesus' help. Or George Herbert, considered an Anglican divine. He was one of the first Anglicans because he was right at the start of it all. A parish priest, and he died at the age of 33 or 34, but wrote some amazing poetry. And in one poem, which he entitles Love Three, it's about coming to a meal and finding out that Jesus is the host. And in this beautiful poem, he wrestles with this. He recognizes he's not worthy to come to this dinner. And he pulls back in the poem, and it is Jesus that reaches out and pulls him close and says, I make you worthy to be at the table with me. Come and eat. I'm reminded in just that poem how it is I've encountered people of some fame, and I've, you know, taught, thought in my head, how do I approach them? Do I go up and act all casual? Or do I recognize how significant they are? And in the one occasion I'm thinking of, I ended up not talking to the person at all because I couldn't decide how to approach them. We might feel that way with Jesus. How do we approach you? Do we go and act all casual, like you're our friend, like you told us you would be? Or do we recognize your grandeur and come forward in humility and bending down, unable to fully stand up in your presence? Well, however it is that you feel it, what Jesus says is, come. I will make you worthy to come to this table. That is what I do. I make you worthy to come to this table. And so we do. Every Sunday we practice remembering who we are by coming to the altar rail and receiving the bread and the wine, the body and the blood of Christ that makes us who we are. We take it into ourselves so that we become part of that whole. It's a mystery for sure, and it's true. I've heard people tell me of all the reasons they can't come to communion. Maybe they've done something wrong and they haven't confessed it yet. Maybe they just feel like they're not right with God and they haven't earned the spot to come up there. They're not sure what work they should have done, but they probably should have done something. I've heard people tell me that their kids can't come because they don't know certain prayers or actions or haven't learned what communion means, to which I say to the parents, do you know what communion means? None of us can fully explain this, but we come to know what communion means by participating in it. And that is the point. Jesus says, come unto me, and I will remind you of who you are, and you will have the capacity to do the things that you have already failed to do to forgive the one that has wronged you, or to receive the forgiveness of someone, um, or, or to forgive someone that you have wronged, or to receive the forgiveness of someone who's wronged you. I will give you the strength for that stuff, because you can't do it without me. If there's anything we need to remember, it's that. 
And that's the word grace. How it is that God completes us in Christ. And by being completed, we find ourselves. We can't find ourselves outside of Christ. I want to share with you a few words on humility. Because maybe that's the reason we have so much trouble coming to worship or receiving the words that we hear in Scripture or even receiving the bread and wine. It's just hard to admit that we don't have it all together and that we can't have it all together, even with our best efforts. Here's a few lines on the word humility by Brother Richard Benson, a brother of the Society of St. John the Evangelist, an order that I have great respect for, an Anglican order, an Episcopal order of men, monks, in um, one of their homes is in Cambridge, Mass. And these three lines, Brother Benson talks about what humility is. Humility is not only ready to do anything for anyone, but it is also ready to receive anything at other people's hands. Many people will humble themselves to do abasing actions and will not humble themselves to receive little kindnesses. It is a great token of humility to receive kindnesses at all people's hands. And this is what Jesus is asking us to do. To come to this table and to receive him. Just a small wafer in our palm, nothing much to, to look at. Definitely not that which will keep our stomach from growling. But Jesus says, this is enough. Please receive it. Take it into you and be made new in me. And you will feel the blessing, he says, just as he instructs the host in our gospel lesson today. When you invite the poor and the lame and the crippled to your table, you'll begin to see me in all my capacity. And you won't be tempted to think that the value of humanity is in our merit, in our achievements, and in our accomplishments. Instead, you will see that our value is because I've given it to you. We often forget this. I'd almost go so far, I think I'm going to go so far, as to say always forget this. So we come together week after week and daily, I would say, to remember who we are, to get our head on and our heart on straight, so we can remember that it is God in Christ who completes us. And by remembering that, we discover the blessings of God in ourselves and in others. Amen.